The participants on this podcast are appearing as private individuals. Their comments don't reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything, 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 absolutely anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously, obviously, very general in intention. You should remember your training, consider your situation, and fly the aircraft. But you knew that. Oh, I just heard the bottle cap. <laughs> so here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'm, I'm having troubles with my girlfriend. All right. She's like, she's upset with me for some reason that I can't fathom. Uh, she's like, I think she's avoiding me. All right. Uh, um, she's, she's even gotten a restraining order on me. All right. Which I don't understand. All right. But I have a, I think I have a solution. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get an airplane and I'm going to fly low over her house and and then I'm also gonna I'm gonna make up some leaflets that describe in graphic detail how we could be great together. All right, I, I just can't see how this won't work. Back, let's back up to the graphic detail thing. Oh <laughs> what, man, what kind of graphic detail are we discussing? So, uh, Jack, I just need to know what your sleeve length is for the jacket we're getting you when you come down. No, so the guy did this. All right, it's not my girlfriend. It's not my restraining order. It's not this particular restraining order that we're talking about here. So I don't have to worry about restraints with the name Jack stitched no, no, in no, on no. the front. No, no, no. But look at this. This. So uh, where's the story here? Now there'd be a, there'd be a, like a ten-digit number. There wouldn't be a name. <laughs> this is. Ah. From, this is from the foxnews.com website, so it must be true. All right. Uh, police, uh, California pilot stalked ex-girlfriend with private plane. Police in Concord, North, in Northern California, say uh, Tom Huey made several low passes over a residential neighborhood Wednesday evening. Uh, uh, the sergeant in the, uh, uh, told the Contra Costa Times that a dozen residents called the police to complain. Uh, Huey was arrested shortly after landing the beach single-engine aircraft. Uh, his girlfriend filed a restraining order last year, but it wasn't reserved. It wasn't served until last Wednesday. He's being held on $155,000 bail uh, on uh, suspicion. They only suspect that he was committing the felony stalking and violating a restraining order. Anyways. Well, you know, when you think about it, how often, uh, how rare it must be for a restraining order's uh, lateral and depth, percent, uh, depth uh, numbers to have to be applied uh, in a third axis. I know. I only have to stay, I only have to stay, you know, a thousand feet away this way, right? I don't have to stay a thousand feet above. All right, I'm fine. Um, and <laughs> you really only have to obey the FARs, you know, whatever they say about, you know, from a structure. It's yeah. A, probably, I think it's a thousand feet yeah. uh, from a structure. So, hey. who uh, says? What's, the leaflet thing is troubling. <laughs> Why is that? Didn't I read that in the story as well? Or maybe I misread it. I don't know. I, I don't see that here. But I, I, I do remember hearing something about it in other outlets. Yes. 
that, um, that he uh, he apparently had uh, somewhat pornographic leaflets that he dropped uh, into her yard. So uh, I think that was the capper. That's what was going to make the deal work. She was going to read one of these leaflets and go, oh, I don't know. Well, there there is there is something about dropping objects from airplanes. Uh, yeah, I mean, whoever said whoever said there aren't good practical everyday uses for small airplanes, personal airplanes? Well, and and, and, and of course, this isn't anywhere near uh, equating to the fictional incident in uh, the uh, TV show WKRP in Cincinnati. <laughs> they right. dropped out live turkeys for Thanksgiving promotion. And <laughs> my hand to God, I thought turkeys could fly. Apparently, turkeys can fly. Uh, this, is, this is a very controversial subject, specifically because of that episode. This has led a lot of people to have the wrong well, idea. We, we know wild turkeys can fly because four of them flew into this uh, park next to our house. That's exactly right. Uh, wild turkeys. spent about a week there. Wild turkeys. Uh, uh, that, that is turkeys. That's, not, that are, even, yeah, that's not even counting the two that came in by debonair. Yeah, wild turkeys, right. Wild turkeys, that is to say the uh, the bird that grew up in the wild as opposed to the beverage. Uh, wild turkeys can fly. Turkeys that have been uh, uh, bred for good eating uh, apparently have basically lost the ability to fly. So uh, so Les, Les should have done a little better research on that one. And uh, But, you know, my credit... Oh, it wasn't Les. It was his boss. What? Oh, that's right. Les, was... Les, Les didn't know what was coming. That's right. He's standing down there on the in in, in the shopping center parking lot. That's going, right. I remember that. Oh, now. Yeah. And here comes a helicopter, and and uh, oh, something's falling from the helicopter. Let's let let's see. But it, it could be packages or to- oh, oh my God, it's turkeys. <laughs> So, anyways, well, you got to hand it to both these folks for at least uh, trying to, you know, exploring the edge of the envelope in terms of the utility of a personal aircraft, and uh, you know, just kind of went a little too far in both cases. Hey, welcome, folks, to episode. Well, I don't know what episode. We'll come back to that in a minute. All right? Well, we'll come this back. Needs, to this it, needs yeah. to be the one that, in numerical order, after the one we did Saturday. Yeah. Well, we'll I'm talk about that. Anyway, we, we have to talk about Saturday. Yeah. Welcome to uh, Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on uh, Wednesday, October 7th, I believe it is. Yes, Wednesday, October 7th, 2009. And uh, let me say hi to my friends here in the virtual hangar. One of those voices is Dave Higdon, who's, talk, talk, who's talking to us and joining us from Wichita, easy, Kansas. Easy for you to say. No, not at all. Not at all. How's Wichita? Is it safer now that, that uh, we're gone, or better, or worse, or more or, or less? I know, uh, I know ATC's breathing a big sigh of relief. Right yeah, now. I know all that all that flying we did that week. But uh, uh, <laughs> actually, it, it it went from really nice and uh, really nice and balmy and sunny uh, about one o'clock this afternoon to about fifty degrees and drizzly. So this has been one of those. Don't like the weather? Wait. A few minutes. Yeah, okay. Sucks to be human. And also joining us in the virtual hangar is Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How you doing, Jack? I'm good. I'm good. Good. So uh, let me publicly thank you for uh, for both of you, as a matter of fact, uh, for being such great hosts uh, to me uh, and us over the last week. we just had had a, yes. a a big time blast. It was it was just thrill. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. And but before David starts chiding me, let me say, uh, and I am Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking to you uh, from the home office in Dover, New Hampshire, where I'm back after a 12 day adventure. So uh, let's see now. What were they going to talk about first here? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about... So here's why I don't know what episode number this is. And that is that uh, last week, one of the things that we did uh, was visit the uh, the legendary Ponca City Pancake Breakfast, uh, where we had a blast. We had a great time. We'll talk more about that. But we tried to record an episode of the podcast while we were there. Now, here's the thing. We've joked from time to time about the fact that we, we, we talk about the, the audience size for this podcast and we refer to both of our listeners. Well, it, it may well be that we now have an episode which truly will only ever have three listeners, and that's the three people who are sitting there around the table with us. Um, we, we recorded an episode, which I'm, I'm just, I hate to say it, but it was, in fact, a great episode. Uh, we recorded it there on a picnic Lots. table right outside the, uh, the, uh, the clubhouse there for the uh, Ponca City Airport boosters. And, uh, and we had some great conversation and talking about the trip and visited with uh, a couple of folks from the booster club and visited also with a couple of listeners who, were, who had come to the breakfast as well. And it was a blast. We had a great time. All right. But... Uh, as as Murphy would have it, um, and and I'm you know I'm going to take some blame for this, but I'm not going to take total blame because I was really careful and I tried to anticipate every pros- possible problem I could think of, and and oh, man. ironically, I actually did anticipate the problem that we ended up having. I I ran a couple tests. I was satisfied myself that we were not having this problem, and then we kind of got. I don't recall the exact sequence, but we must have done something in between the test and the actual beginning to record because the, the you know, what I would characterize as about one in 5,000 chance happened and uh, it caused the quality of the recording to be really, really crappy. So, uh, oops, sorry, I guess it's okay to say crappy. I got a listener sent me email taking me to task for using a, a similar term recently. Crappy. It was crappy. Um, so... Uh, so we've got this episode sitting in the can and trying to debating on what to do with it. I'm debating in my head. I've spoken with you guys about it. I've actually heard from a few listeners on what their suggestion is we should do with it. And I've sort of kind of figured out what I want to do with it. But uh, um, I haven't decided whether we're going we're gonna to bless it with an episode number. I'm not sure if it merits its own number. Um, we may just kind of make it a, a named episode or something like that. Not because of the content, but because of the quality. Because of the sound quality, the technical quality, the, uh, the content. I just, I mean, and anyone who chooses well, should, to... Shouldn't that be like another record where once, you know, you, you, you put an asterisk next to it and say, this one was posted under protest. Yeah, well, I mean, and it will be posted under protest. I just don't want to, uh, what's the, what is it they say? I don't want to dignify it with an episode number. It's just, uh, it's pretty weak. Uh, in technically... Yep, yep, yep. Did you hear that word? Yeah. When did dignity ever creep into this? <laughs> So sometime in the next week or so, uh, the, well, well, this this episode that we're doing, which I may well be 156, possibly 157, will be posted in the next couple of days, um, and then the uh, Ponca City uh, uh, episode, by some name of some sort, uh, will get also posted in the next week or so. Chances are, what I'm going to do for the for listeners who uh, are interested in the Ponca City one, I, I'm I'm almost certainly not going to put it into the automatic download feed. I'm not going to force people to download this really poor quality effort. Um, so we're going to put probably a little announcement in the feed, a little two minute announcement, and then and then show you where to go and manually download it. And that way, uh, anybody who really wants to listen can listen, and anybody who I don't know. 
I really feel badly about this that's, because that's, 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 that's fair. That's yeah. fair. So, anyways, yeah, that, that's a good solution. Yeah. One of the things we did in the episode of Ponca City uh, was to talk a bit about the trip that uh, Jeb and I had uh, visiting Dave and and uh, and Ponca City and all over there in Kansas and Oklahoma. And uh, for those who choose not to listen to the episode, I just wanted to kind of go back over that a little bit, talk about some of the highlights of this. Um, I just had a blast. I mean, it was just a fabulous week and almost a week and a half for me. Um, I, uh, as planned, I flew airlines down to uh, to Sarasota, where I spent about a day and a half uh, visiting Jeb, and uh, that was really pleasant in and of itself. Um, but then we jumped into uh, Jeb's airplane and uh, flew uh, from from uh, from Sarasota to uh, Wichita, and uh, that's. I don't often fly. I hardly ever fly that long. That's just a really long flight um, for me, and uh, it, it's a, it's an interesting experience. We flew up from uh, we flew up the co- the west coast of Florida, uh, hung a left, and then headed off to uh, to uh, Wichita. We stopped uh, in uh, southern Mississippi, I believe it was, for gas. Right, Jeb? Southern Mississippi, and uh, That's correct. Uh, well, southern central, yeah. I guess it is. I guess it is central. I think. Yeah. Okay. It's more central. You're right. Um, yeah. At a, at a cool little airport called Clark County. It was near Meridian. That's really all. Yeah. I know. Near Meridian, Clark County. Um, stopped there because uh, AirNav.com had told us that they had inexpensive gas there, and they really did. Three dollars and six cents a gallon for hundred low lead, which uh, seems to be a really good price. It's amazing. It's incredible. For me, it was a good price. Yeah, yeah. So we stopped there. Friendly people uh, staffing that airport. And uh, as I mentioned before, the world's mangiest airport dog, uh, but a very friendly airport dog. But he was, he was, uh, he had been rolling in the mud for a while. And uh, so that was nice. So we, so Clark County, then we launched out of Clark. Go ahead. Just because no, he does it, because it feels so good. That's right. Yeah. Uh, he apparently he did. It, he almost did it while we were there. We were talking to the lady who runs the airport, and she was uh, and she was saying, "Oh, there he goes. He's going to roll in the water again. Look, look, look." And he didn't, but he looked like he was thinking about it. Uh, launched out of Clark County, continued on to Wichita. Arrived at Wichita just uh, just just after sunset, and uh, and landed at. Uh, at Mid Continent, Wichita Mid Continent, um, which is sort of the big airport, right? It's the uh, what class. Charlie Airport is that what it is? Class Charlie. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and so that was a lot of fun. Uh, we uh, we arrived. We taxied up to uh, Yingling Aviation, uh, and the line guy was st- standing there waiting for us. And standing behind him was uh, was no one, none other than, than Dave Higdon. Right? They let him right out there on the ramp. It's uh, it was startling. It yeah, was I, it was a little I, startling. Where's the security? I know. So uh, so that was good. So that was our trip up. Uh, we then uh, uh, spent three days, four days, uh, attending the Bombardier Safety Standdown, which was was really cool. We uh, we got a chance to, uh, uh, I mean, I, I was exposed to a lot of safety issues and and things that 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 I only vaguely was aware of, some that I wasn't aware of at all. And uh, I know Jeb, you were scribbling notes frantically all week long. I I made a lot of notes, um, a lot of good ideas for for. Um, future articles in aviation safety and a lot of good uh, contacts uh, from those presentations. Um, yeah, it was it was definitely a, a win-win. It mm-hmm. was a great week, actually. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, spending time with you, spending, you know, sp- have to include Higdon every now and then. Yeah, I know. Um, I know. And, but, uh, um, you know, the flying and, and, and the pancakes and, and, and everything like that. It was a great week. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it had a nice little evening Friday with uh, four of our listeners at the uh, Chower Bar at the Hangar One Steakhouse. Mm-hmm. It's got this outstanding view of the right side runway, uh, one right, one nine left at Mid-Continent. And we got to see a little bit of interesting traffic. Thanks to the cross, most of the traffic was landed down on a crosswind runway about two miles away. Yeah, by that time in the week, it was pretty windy. It was, uh, um, it and was it, honking out there. Yeah, and, and, and as a result, uh, uh, props go out to uh, our uh, listener, Troy, I believe it was, Troy from Oklahoma Absolutely. City, who, uh, who actually f- flew into Mid-Continent that afternoon and early evening to, uh, to visit with us. And, and uh, although we were raising beers, he was raising soft drinks of one sort or another. Exactly. And, uh, and he came up from Wiley Post Airport in Oklahoma City mm-hmm. and then... Uh, as a former Cherokee 140 owner and pilot, uh, man, that's I'm I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah, and I, I heard from him later that evening. So we had another. We we were there for about an hour and a half, two hours, uh, uh, chatting with these folks, and then we have to go off to something else. I know they stuck around and had dinner, I believe, um, there in the restaurant, and uh, and then. Uh, later on, uh, Troy uh, mounted up and headed back to Oklahoma City. I heard from him much later that evening that uh, he did, in fact, arrive home safely. He said the trip home was much less eventful. I guess that meant turbulence and, you know, smooth ride and so forth. So uh, Smoother, yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, so that was Friday. Uh, that, oh, well, the other thing that happened on Friday, all right, is uh, was, was a bit of a religious experience for me, all right, which is that I got to visit uh, Dead Cow International. And, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. And that was cool. What a what a I mean, what a charming, cool little airport. I always kind of got that impression, but to see it, it, it was everything I expected and and a little more. Um, and and it surely is hemmed in there among these industrial properties. Um, I posted on uh, in my Flickr account uh, some pictures that I took uh, as Jeb and I were leaving uh, on uh, Sunday morning, and uh, I managed to get a couple of shots of uh, dead cow from the air, and it's just really oh, cool. It's really astounding to see how hemmed it in, hemmed in it is among these buildings. I mean. You know, when when Jeb and I were arriving, we were trying to find Dead Cow. We thought we were close enough. It turns out we probably weren't close enough to see it, but we thought we were, and we're looking around, looking everywhere for it. We, we would have had a hard time um, um, spotting it, I think, because if you don't really know where to look, because it's it's just really a, a little narrow stretch between a bunch of industrial buildings and, uh, but a cool airport. Um, it's of course got uh, uh, Earl's uh, maintenance operation there in a hangar, in one big hangar. Uh, it's got a uh, commemorative. It's commemorative Air Force, right, Dave? The Jayhawk wing is. That's is, correct. Is, yeah, Jayhawk. Um, ha- they have a hangar which uh, was closed when we were there, but I'm told has a couple of cool airplanes in it. And then there was about a dozen T hangers uh, th- uh, that each had airplanes in them. Uh, lots of different, uh, uh, quite a variety. From uh, 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 there was an air coupe, and there was a Champ, and there was a oh, I forget what they all were, but there was some cool airplanes there. So uh, neat, neat airport, as I sort of always no, there expected. Was a- Nice tailor craft sitting down there, the champ that you're talking about, a couple of 152s, one particularly, I mean, oh, 150s, one particularly pretty 150. Uh, Cessna 195 sitting back in there. It was, uh, it's, it, it, it's a diverse little field. And the, the big beach baby, Twin Beach, sitting out in yeah, the grass. Yeah, yeah, that's a cool airplane, too. Is that airplane airworthy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'll probably be booking out to uh to uh the uh CAF uh, air show as they call it. Uh coming along here. I I don't think we've passed it already. Maybe we have. 
Don't know. Maybe it was this past week. Don't know. So, anyways, so that was uh, that was Friday. Uh, Saturday, uh, we went to Ponca City, and uh, yet, and yet another uh, thing that I'd been looking forward to that did not disappoint. Uh, it was, and Jeb, this was your first time for this as, t- as well, right? You hadn't been to the pancake breakfast before. Say that again. This is the first time you've been to the Ponca mean- City. It is, yeah. Had a blast. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was it was a wonderful time. Yeah. A lot of a lot of interesting people. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of interesting airplanes. Um, um, uh, home built uh, stuff that you know I might not want to climb into. Uh, <laughs> um, to some very well done antiques. Uh, very well done kit planes. Yeah. Uh, your, one one intrepid pilot a trike yet. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, uh, speaking of uh, our trip to Ponca City, credit where credit is due. All right, uh, and this is this is maybe the exception that proves the rule. I don't know. Come up with whatever cliche you like here. Uh, <laughs> I know where you're headed. Is okay. that? And I'm I have, just going to sit back. And I have photographic evidence. Uh, Jeb Burnside did, in fact, not only turn the key on his airplane before noon. He turned the key before dawn. Uh, we were out at, uh, at, at when we were heading down to uh, to Ponca City. Uh, we to get there in time to really kind of you know get the best of breakfast. We had to leave pretty early, so we were out on the ramp at 7 a.m., which uh, local time out there is is just before uh, dawn, and uh, the, the sky was kind of starting to brighten, but the, the sun was not up, and uh, got all prepped to go and turned the key about uh, I believe it was about six minutes past seven is when you turn the key. Uh, I took a picture and posted it on the internet for all to see, just for proof. And then uh, uh, we launched out, and uh, the sun actually rose for us uh, as we passed through about uh, 3,200 feet uh, MSL, uh, which is what, about 22, right? What's the ground level there, David? Uh, it's about 1,300, 1,400 feet MSL. Yeah. So we went down at 4,500 and came back at 4,500. Yeah. So that put us a little over 3,000 feet off the ground. Yep. So we headed down and uh, had our little uh, pseudo Oshkosh moment down there as the uh, 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 just a, a flurry of airplanes arriving more or less all at the same time and uh, but managed to get on the ground without a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, commotion and uh, got our pancake and they really do I mean this is just not we're not talking here like coffee pancakes bacon orange juice all right there was like pancakes and oh, this is this is a substantial breakfast yeah this was like pancakes and scrambled eggs and bacon and sausage and fruit and i forget you know there was just you know uh, oh biscuits and gravy that's right tang, yeah, yeah. coffee fried potatoes uh and the plate is your ticket and you can eat as long as you keep your ticket yeah yeah so uh uh, it, it was terrific breakfast, and uh, uh, met some interesting people. Uh, not to, not the least of which were uh, two of our listeners who appeared. Uh, who oh, here we go, Bill from Texas, and uh, Kelly, who we uh, actually uh, had talked about. Right, he had right. sent some Kelly emails. and his wife Donna, and and his wife Donna uh, was was there yep. as well. Uh, quite a she, she doesn't fly, or she's not a pilot, um, but she seems to be very supportive of Kelly's flying, and uh, they actually. I'd say you know. So we were we yeah, were, absolutely. She- we were we were uh, 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 trumpeting uh, Troy's commitment to to come and uh, and uh, you know. Uh, say hi uh, by flying for a couple hours. Uh, Kelly and Donna drove six hours 
to get to Ponca City. They actually came up the day before and stayed overnight on Friday night, and so they were their first thing. Uh, yeah, they came. They came all the way from Rolla, Missouri. Now, where is Rolla? You know, it's all right. Here we go. This is a, like like you know, ugly Yankee uh, confession here. All right, um, I, when you guys were both going, oh yeah, Rolla. I know where Rolla is, and I'm thinking, okay, this is like some interesting pronunciation of the city that I would say is Raleigh. I, uh, I, I I never said I knew. I never said I knew what it was. I knew how to spell it. Yeah, well, I, I, I have a note here from, from Kelly where he, he spelled out the name of his airport, the Rolla National yeah, Airport. Uh, uh, right. Rolla National, got two big right. runways, uh, really busy maintenance hangar for a FedEx contractor that operates uh, caravans. Uh, used to have, now it's been a while since I've passed through there, but it used to have four or five DC-3, C-47 sitting on the closed runway in various degrees of either restoration or cannibalization. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's got some interesting airplanes there. They built some new hangars, Kelly said, and, uh, you know, they're they're putting some effort into it. Uh, It was, where is Rolla? Uh, How about 120, 130 nautical west of the Mississippi and maybe 80 Eighty or so north of the uh, Missouri uh, Arkansas line. Okay, yeah, that helps. Yeah, got it. I think it, I got it. It, it. It's west about sixty miles or so from the St. Louis class Bravo. So yeah, uh, got some instrument approaches, which always made it convenient. Mm-hmm. So we spent some time wandering around, looking at all the airplanes. Um, I I don't think they quite hit their. Uh, they they tout. Um, up to 100, you know, they say we, we sometimes get 100 airplanes here. And they had a lot of airplanes. I don't know if they had 100 airplanes this time. They uh, No, I don't think they hit it uh, this Saturday. Uh, uh, so. yeah. Any and I have been there with friends when they broke 100. Uh-huh, really, yeah. And that was one of the early times they broke 500 breakfasts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they, they got over 400 uh, this past Saturday. Over four hundred people 400 ponied people. up six bucks. Came from somewhere and ponied up six bucks to have a breakfast. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we wandered around looking at the airplanes. Then we uh, we uh, tried to set up. We did in fact set up and uh, and do an episode, which was well, we talked about that. Um, and uh, and then we headed home. And uh, let's see now. I, so and we spent the final evening in town. Uh, a, a very pleasant, um, a one of many very pleasant evenings. Uh, but uh, yes. uh, we spent this particular evening, uh, like a couple others, uh, with not only with David but with the uh, the lovely Annie, uh, who we've heard about on the podcast from time to time. And uh, I had never met Annie before, um, and I, it was a pleasure to do so. She's just a, a, a charming, funny, interesting person, and uh, so that was real cool. Thanks. Uh, also met, uh, and, you know, third times a charm. What can I say? <laughs> We also met. Uh, I just don't even know where to go with that. We also met uh, Charlotte, <laughs> which uh, which was uh, <laughs> Charlotte is uh, Dave and Annie's uh, dog. Uh, what kind of dog is is she? She's a uh, coonhound shepherd uh, mix. Okay, with uh, just a great personality. Yeah, she's, and, uh, she's a terrific. She's dog, a she's it? a good people pet. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, 
after her initial reluctance when these two strangers appeared, uh, she uh, became very affectionate and fun, and uh, and uh, and that was a pleasure too. Uh, we actually on on uh, Saturday evening after Ponca City, we got our sushi that we got that we neglected to have in uh, Oshkosh this year, so we went off to a. A fun, uh, nice, interesting, good, tasty sushi. I, I'm not sure I asked. So, did that stack up well with you guys? Oh, yeah. Uh, the uh, yeah, that was delightful experience there, at Sumo. Yeah, I liked it. It was a good restaurant and uh, good food. Yeah, the, the acoustics there, there huh? don't put me off as much as they do Annie. Yeah, and she was telling going in that apparently because the architecture is very hard metal, uh, lots of uh, I don't know stainless steel or something like that. You know, and or very, cast concrete. Yeah, and uh, she was she was saying how when the place gets full, it can really become a din. Um, but uh, and there was a little bit of that while we were there, but it was not a problem. I just it, you know, although when I listened for it, I said, "Oh yeah, I see what you're talking about," but it never really troubled me as we were as we were eating and enjoying the. Evening. Well, and it was it it kind of struck me. We sat farther over than we usually do, uh, and the different position I think had a. Uh, Headed effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was noticeable. So uh, then we headed back uh, on Sunday morning. Uh, we launched out of Midcontinent uh, at about uh, 10.45 a.m. So there we go, yet again. Uh, Dave, uh, Another Jeff. before noon key turn I know. by Burnside, Joseph, I, I, E. Jeff. I, I wouldn't I'm, be surprised. Yeah, no, I wouldn't be surprised if he's used up his allotment for the next four or five years now. So. Uh, uh, Actually, I need, to, I need to be in, in Georgia Saturday at noon, so okay. uh, I guess I get to do it again. All right. Um, we, we could be seeing the beginning of a new trend here. Yeah. The trip home was pretty interesting, Jeb, at least for me, um, because uh, where the tri- <laughs> Well, if you, like, if you like being inside a ping pong ball. Yeah, yeah exactly. Was, was yeah. The trip up was notable in that uh, it's just about 1,000 miles uh, flight, flight distance. Excuse me. From I'm drinking. Uh, let's see now. Lining Google Sunset Wheat this evening, by the way. So that's what that burp was. Um, the thing that was notable about the trip up was that this thousand mile trip, uh, we did it all entirely VFR. Um, almost all of it was on, with flight following, but uh, it was VFR. And uh, you know, of course, you can do that, but sometimes just I don't know. Struck me as interesting. On the way back, that was not an option. Uh, because there was a big hunk of uh, of uh, rainy weather uh, in, right along the course, so what do you th- and I think I did the arithmetic. I think we spent about seven and a half hours flying, maybe maybe close to eight hours flying home. What portion of that, Jeff? Yeah, did you it say? was it was another long day. Yeah, I yeah. didn't I didn't do the math either. I mean, from the time we left to the time we arrived, we're looking at about seven and a half, seven seven and a half hours, and that included the fuel stop. Yeah. So you commented to me at the fuel stop that. Uh, that uh, we just, I think you said something along the lines of, we just spent a solid four hours in the clouds. And uh, it was very nearly that. Three and a half. Three and a half for sure. Yeah. Three and a half for sure. And I don't know, I don't have very much experience with this kind of stuff. It seemed like a relatively benign IFR, um, but... but It was a little bit bumpier on a couple of occasions than I like, but Uh uh, bumps are kind of um, um, expected when you go through a cold front, even a weak one like that. I, you know, did, for what it's it worth, it never got so bad you had to turn off George, did it? Oh no, no. I I got ready to a couple of times. Did you really? Um, yeah, yeah. I had my I had my thumb on the button. Yeah. yeah, I I you know, I don't know. Like I said, I don't have a lot of experience with this kind of thing, but I was never troubled by it. Never, never. You know, yeah. It got it got, got a little bumpy a couple of times, but uh, but uh, it's know, just I mean, I, I wasn't by hand three and a half hours. 
Yeah, it, it wasn't dangerous or, or unpleasant for that matter, but uh, it was a little bit bumpier than I would have liked. And, and uh, What's the rationale? What's the thinking behind deciding to get off the autopilot? Well, a couple of things from where I sit. One is I want to feel what the bumps are doing to the airplane rather through my hand as well as through my seat. I see. Okay. Um, I want to see what the yoke is doing, things like that. Uh, and I want to, you know, have have better control in case there's a, a um, in case I want to slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that would be the next thing to do if if uh, um, there was uh, a, a possibility that it was going to get worse. Mm-hmm. There's no sense in overstressing the airplane if you don't have to. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, it wasn't that bad. It didn't approach that bad, and, and George uh, um, did all the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we stopped uh, at uh, Bruton, Alabama. Uh, I believe was what. what that's tri- that's a backwater airport. Yeah, that was a little bit. Off. Well, I mean, I think I think Clark County's a little off the beaten path too. But uh, well, yeah. they both are. They both are. But at least at least um, um, the uh, Clark County was populated. Um, yeah, that's not, true. Not that not, not no, 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 there was there was a, a a person at the FBO. Um, in, in Bruton, but um, um, he he um, he was uh, he wasn't talking much. Yeah, yep. So uh, we headed on, continued on back, and uh, arrived in uh, in uh, Sarasota area uh, a bit after uh, after uh, dark. Uh, that was a bit of an experience. It's because uh, you know you, the flying that I do after dark. You know, at night you're, you're landing in an airport that's fairly well lit. You know, and uh, uh, that has you know lights surrounding it, and sometimes has rabbit lights. You know, and and so you can kind of really visualize the runway pretty effectively. Um, your you know your residential air park it has a lighted runway and in, is certainly adequate, but is not the kind of lighting that I'm it's, familiar with. No, it's it's not uh, you know Tampa International or anything like yeah. that. And uh, uh, it's it's a it's a piece of pavement with some lights on the side. And, yeah, and some some relatively clear approaches. And if you know it well in the daytime, then then you shouldn't have any problem at night. You have to be careful. Yeah, I, I would think so. It's Does because, it have a beacon, Jeb? I don't remember. Yeah, no, no, there's no beacon. There's no beacon. Um, so you got to know. No you you got to be looking for the right place. Well, well, it's more, it's pretty easy since the, the I've I've got a waypoint that I loaded from my front yard, so uh, it's it's real easy to it. figure out where I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it is a it's it's a it's a pretty interesting. Like, you know, I think the point the important point that you made is that is that it's if you know the airport um, in the daytime because it you know it's literally the, I mean the runway is lit perfectly well and it's got uh, um, red lights at each end and it, I mean it's you can see the runway no question but it's surrounded by black I mean there's nothing around it to give you any context at all you know so you know, you're looking at this this lit you know runway shape and 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 I was looking at it going you know okay I'm sort of vaguely familiar with this runway but I'm I'm having you know hard time kind of picturing how far away we are and how high we are relative you know what our slope is and things like that so it, it was it was it was an interesting flying experience but like you say the key is being familiar with it during the daytime as well uh, well being yeah. familiar I, with I, it I certainly would be comfortable with that kind of operation too uh and it doesn't hurt to to you know jeb's obviously got that dialed in because he's been flying and living there for a while but uh getting your night chops at some dimly lit field uh 
I don't know about back there, but around here, there are four or five airports I can go to. Now, none of them are closer than a half hour of flying, but there are four or five airports yeah. I can go to that have just almost, they're barely perceptible uh, runway lights, and they're a mile and a half, two miles out of some little bitty town that's barely a bright spot on the prairie to begin with. And you can really feel like you're landing in a black hole in some of those places. Yeah, that, that, that's nice yeah. practice. I, I certainly, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't suggest anyone uh, try to get in here at night or or some of these other uh, airports that might not be as as well marked and as well lit. Um, you have to know what you're doing. You have to have some experience doing that, and and you have to have some basically some experience landing at strange airports at night. You now start with Dulles International and work your way down. Yeah. So <laughs> that's kind of, yeah. Sorry. Or, you know, no, no. Yeah. yourself with a mid continent and work your way down. Yeah. No, I'm right. sorry. My yeah was not because I was un, un, unexcited by what you said. It was because I was actually thinking ahead in the podcast here. I'm sorry. I was like looking at other things while we were, while you were finishing up that. I, 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 you know, I feed you all these jokes and you don't even laugh. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm so sorry. Hurt. I'm sorry. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Well, that was our trip. So we arrived back in uh, in Sarasota. I got to spend another uh, uh, just just marvelously relaxing, pleasant day uh, hanging out uh, around Jeb's pool, and uh, and then jumped on uh, the airlines and uh, and headed on home. Um, a little bit later in the podcast, I'm going to talk about talk about something that happened on the flight home. I'm hoping that a video will pop up in uh, that I uploaded to YouTube is going to pop up in time for you guys to see. Well, what's it. the what's the flight attendant's name? Uh, Patience, patience, time will tell. Patience, that's a great name for a flight attendant. Wow. You got pictures of her too, right? So here's what I wanted to talk about. And Jeb, you know what I, we talked about this a little bit earlier today. We we actually spoke on the phone for a little bit. Um, So I went off to the airport today. I was going to go flying this afternoon, um, but we got weathered. It it was kind of really squirrely weather today. So uh, I was hanging out at the airport waiting for the weather to clear up. And uh, and while I was, I've, as as some listeners know, I've been kind of getting more and more serious about the idea of buying myself an airplane, and so I've been toying a lot about you know what kind of airplanes right for my mission, going through that whole equation, and I've been leaning towards sort of a one you know Skyhawk ish kind of airplane, um, maybe a little bigger than that, but something like that, and uh, and so that's sort of what's been on my radar, and I'm sort of thinking about you know what that's going to cost and when I can afford that, and 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 all the equations keep coming out to next year sometime at the earliest, and mostly for financial reasons. Lately, I've been thinking more and more about something that's been the discussion of a forum thread uh, in the UCAP forums that has to do with the notion of buying a very inexpensive, what the, some of the forum folks have referred to as a beater airplane, all right? an airplane that's airworthy and safe, but very minimal in many ways, um, and, and then just you know, flying the hell out of that airplane, just having a lot of good times with that particular airplane for a while as you're building time and trying to kind of... First of all, just enjoy yourself, but also, you know, build your skills. And and that idea has become more and more appealing to me. I've got thinking about the fact that that I can't afford a 172 until next year sometime, but I might conceivably be able to afford, you know, a, a, a modest 152 much sooner. So I've just been thinking about this. So I'm hanging out at the airport this afternoon, and uh, I'm chatting with the guy who owns the FBO, and I got to thinking that, uh, that they have a 150 that used to be on the rental line, and for financial reasons, they took it off the rental line. Apparently, it wasn't getting rented enough to make cover the insurance or other fixed costs. So they took it off the rental line, and it's been sitting over on the far side of the ramp um, ever since I've been flying out of, out of uh, southern Maine. 
And so I asked the guy, I said, is that, do you still have that airplane? Yes, they do. Uh, you know, what are you going to do with it? He said, well, we're trying to sell it. And I said, oh, okay, well, what would you like to, how much would you like to sell it for? And we got to talking about, about what the price might be. He quoted a very, very interesting price. Um, and uh, so I said, well, can I go look at it? You know, and he said, yeah. So I went over the other, he gave me the keys, um, just so I could open it up, not fly it or start it or anything. But, uh, and I went over to the other side of the ramp and spent, uh, oh, I don't know, the better part of an hour just kind of hanging out, you know, looking over this airplane, kind of trying to explore every aspect of it I could. And uh, and then I said, you know, I wonder what I'm missing here. What should I be looking at while I'm standing here? And so I called Jeb, and we talked for a while about the airplane, and he did some online research for me. Um, it It's a, it's a 150. Um, it's advertised as being a 1974 150 Mike model. Um, but Jeb did some research, and you concluded that it's probably a 1975, I believe. And uh, um, it's got about 9,000 hours. According to the serial number and according to the, to the Blue Book, it's a 75 Mike model. Yeah. It's got about, about 9,000 hours on the airframe, apparently. Um, it's got about 900 hours on the engine right now. So, and that puts it about halfway through its uh, time be- between uh, overhauls. Um, which is advisory in nature. Yeah. So uh, it seems to be in pretty good condition. The biggest cosmetic, well, it may or may not be, it may or may not be more than cosmetic. The biggest visual thing about it is that um, the paint is very worn. Um, and, and you guys, I don't know if you're able to open this page, but uh, there's actually a series of pictures that I put on Flickr that uh, you could take a look at to actually see this airplane. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if you look at some of them, how long has that airplane has the airplane been parked? Um, it, it's been off the rental line for about a year, uh, about ten months. Um, I, I'm under the impression that it's been flown. It, it doesn't get flown much, um, but he he he. I, I should have asked him flat out, but I didn't. Um, but uh, I think it does get flown from time to time. Yeah. It, it it doesn't appear. You know, I crawled around inside it. It's not like it's been sitting there. It wasn't. Didn't have any cobwebs. I mean, it was very clean. Um, it didn't have any signs that uh-huh. had been sitting untouched for a long, long time. Um, I opened up the. I, I not only peeked in the uh, the front of the cowling, but I opened up the. I didn't take the cowling off, but I opened. It has a fairly large panel, um, so you can get access to the oil filler and the oil. Uh, um, the dipstick and and the uh, things things like that, and so I opened that up and looked in. It was very clean inside the engine compartment. I mean, really, um, it, it didn't look like it had been sitting very long. I mean, I, it seemed like a very nice airplane. If this were on the rental line now, I went out and did a preflight of it. I wouldn't have any hesitation about flying it. Um, the tires were in good condition. Um, the brakes were, you know, the the brake uh, pads were in good condition. Um, the brake rotors were were a bit rusted, but that can happen in a week up there. Um, you know the props seem to be in in good condition. Um, you know, uh, other than the fact that it has an old panel, and you see there's some pictures there of the panel, um, and then uh, and then the fact that the paint has a lot of wear and tear. What I would characterize as sort of wind erosion. Um, it didn't appear to be the result of corrosion. Um, it just like you know, it's a nine thousand hours of the wind blown over this thing has caused the. That's a that's an important distinction. Yeah, is that the uh, the leading edges and I mean basically the leading edges. Any place that you can kind of visualize high pressure air um, had paint worn off, and uh, so it's an interesting airplane. Um, I may bleep it out. The price that he's quoting is. Um, and uh, that strikes me as being a really good deal for this airplane, based on what I know so far. Uh, and my question: When's, for you, when's the annual due? 
uh, he, other than telling me that it had a current annual, I didn't get the date. Yeah. You, you'd want to get uh, it annual when you buy it. Um, now, that's one of my questions to you. So the, <clears throat> the fact that you're describing it as optional, I was curious whether the annual sort of automatically it is, expires. It is optional. It is optional. I mean, you certainly want to get a pre-buy, and, and you and I talked about that on the phone. Um, but uh, um, there's not going to be that much difference when the smoke clears um, between a, a proper pre-buy and a decent annual inspection. Um, you'll have a you know you'll know the airplane. You'll you'll it'll be legal. Um, you won't have any doubts about uh, uh, the condition of, of of the various components. They may you know be you know nearing the end of their life, but as long as they're serviceable, at least you'll know that, and you'll have a a, a good idea of uh, you know overall condition of the airplane. You'll have that much kind of confidence in it. Um, any any pre-buy that's that's really worth, uh, especially on that class of airplane, any pre-buy that's worth uh, the name uh, can easily be an annual inspection for not that much more money. Mm-hmm. How what's involved in a pre-buy inspection typically? Is it a long thing? Does it take a whole day or take two hours? Or I mean, I guess it varies probably from case to case, right? It, it should take me one to day. Even, in on started with a logbook inspection, right? I'm sorry, Jeb. You say it should take exactly at least right. a day. Yeah, I, I would yeah. think so. Yeah, and 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 as as, as Dave um, uh, correctly mentioned, it, it could take that long to look at the logbooks. Yeah, I mean, it could, it could take you know, several hours anyway to look at the logbooks correctly. You want to get all the, you know, um, you know, obviously all the airframe logs, all the engine logs, prop log, um, and uh, especially the um, any three three sevens that were filed for it. Uh, What's a three three seven? To the logbook. A form, an FAA form three three seven. It is the um, uh, what the FAA uses to document what it calls major modifications or major repairs. And um, depending on the type of work being done on the airplane, um, a, a, an IA must sign it, or an AMP can sign it, or a repair station, or the manufacturer can sign it, uh, or FISDO can sign it for that matter. Uh, but it, it, it's a it's an additional statement um, in addition to what's in the log books that, go, that become the formal record uh, of the airplane uh, with Oklahoma City and the FAA, um, documenting any major modifications or major repairs done to the airplane since, it's, since it was uh, made airworthy, uh, since it was sold. And, and, you know, some of those major modifications could be nothing more than the installation of a radio that uh, the manufacturer had not gotten a specific STC for to put in it. So, uh, you know, you put it in under a a field approval. That's the generic name for a 337. They're very common. Uh, You'll you'll look at the their airplanes out there with logbooks that have almost as many field approvals as they do STCs. Mm-hmm. You can down you can download a PDF of the form from the FAA website, and you know, boom, it's, it, and there's instructions. I think there's instructions uh, that go with it. Uh, it's it's not a difficult form to to complete. Uh, increasingly, the FAA wants to see one, uh, depending on the modifications. Even some of the even STC equipment generally will get a three three seven, basically stating that. Um, STC yada 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 was installed and, and, and documenting all that too. Um, the logbooks are, are critical, um, and uh, you know I have to go back and you have to look at various entries that were that seem significant. 
um, you know, count the oil changes, baby, but uh, you want to look for stuff, you know, replaced X, Y, and Z parts or something like that. And you, you have to go to the parts book, which you should do in this situation, uh, look up which parts were replaced. It could be, you know, the part could be the entire tail or an entire wing. You don't know, and it would be it would be interesting to learn why a wing or a, or a tail or some other major component had to be replaced, mm-hmm. and what happened to the airplane to cause that to happen. Yeah, I mean, and is that in the nature of the kind of things that you discover in the logbooks that that you know will shoot down a sail? Ab- absolutely. Well, shoot down a sail is all uh, you know between the uh, the buyer and the seller, right? Uh, I've looked a lot. I, I years ago was asked to look at the logbooks of a of a 135 operation uh, for a buddy of mine. Uh, 135 operation out of, operating out of San Juan, Puerto Rico, um, and you know started just you know looking through the logs and looking at entries and whatnot. And I really didn't know what I was doing. It was really one of the first times I'd ever sat down with an airplane logbook, and there was an entry in there that. Um, about a year, year or so earlier, um, such and such work done, um, replace such and such parts, um, re- aircraft returned to service. Okay, and I, it was just struck me as being vague, and and I made a, a note of it for my for my friend, and um, turns out that I my suspicion was was justified. The airplane had a gear up accident yeah. or incident, excuse, a gear up event, perhaps would be a better way to say it. And um, the, the, the logbook entry specifically avoided saying that it was a landing or a uh, gear up uh, event. Just, you know, stated the facts. And it was a completely legal logbook entry, but it didn't tell the full tale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, That's s- sneaky. But, uh, you know, finding something that needs resolution doesn't necessarily mean that it has to kill the sale. If it can be resolved, right. what it may mean is renegotiating the price. Like, uh, right. you know, there, you got some issues in here that are resolvable, but uh, I, I don't want to pay this money and then have to pay to resolve them. You, you could either resolve them or we could split it or you could cut the price or how interested are you in selling the uh, right. right airplane? Yeah, right. And yeah, I, my and last I, thought Jack, on it. I, I remember looking at an airplane and it that was really right priced and it it had some issues that this Cessna that you uh, uh cited can't have. Like it was cloth covered and a whole bunch right. of things. Yeah. There gets to be below a certain point where it's hard to get hurt at the price it's available, even if you have to put money into it later. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at what the average selling price is for an airworthy one with halfway decent radios, even old halfway decent radios, you'll find that uh, you know the number is so significantly different than what the deal is. Because once in a while, real deals do come along. Yeah. Now, um, one last question about this particular situation. Um, I may, t- sometime in the next week, I think I'm almost certainly going to go fly this thing. Um, with one of their instructors, what, what what are you looking for in that kind of a flight? I mean, you just kind of, you know, basic feel, or are there particular things that you should be on the lookout for when you're conducting that kind of flight? I want to know if it will fly hands off, straight and level. Okay. Um, I want to know if it um, 
um, meets book or even comes close to book performance. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I want to know what the fuel burn was. Um, you know, is there any binding in the controls? Is there uh, um, any uh, uh, non-linear, non-smooth uh, feel, interrupted feel to, to exercising the controls? Uh, how does the throttle um, and, and mixture control feel? Carb heat, does it seem to work correctly? You want to do a very good pre-flight and a very good run-up on it. Um, take a pad and pencil piece of paper and piece of paper and pencil and make some notes, jot down some numbers, compare them to uh, a POH when you get down just for grins. Um, as long as, you know, um, as long as it'll fly straight and level for you, it seems to handle uh, correctly, doesn't seem to be uh, flying sideways or, or something like that, um, um, then you start diving into the, into the paperwork, start diving into... Uh, um, opening inspection covers and, and poking around. I noticed a couple of thoughts for you um, that I can share, you know, offline or whatever, uh, in looking at some of those photos, some of those images you took. Okay. Um, and um, uh, y- y- we should probably talk some more before um, um, before too much goes on. Goes okay. Along. All right. Well, I don't know. You know, this may just be an exercise, you know, for me in you know the process, but. It, it, uh, if nothing else, it's educational. For yeah, you. exactly. You know, and uh, but uh, but it isn't. But now here's the pro- here's the the weird part. Okay, so uh, this kind of was almost on a whim. I was chat. Like I said, I was chatting with the owner of the FBO. We, the subject came up. We talked about it. I went and looked at it. Um, I'm thinking, oh, this is interesting. This this could be a bargain. And and then I got to thinking, but wait a minute. Do I really want to? Here's my question. All right, um, is basically. How do you keep a bo- how do you keep a boy down on the farm after he's seen New York? Basically, okay. <laughs> you guys, you guys have corrupted me when when you get right down to it. All right, um, I used to live my flying life totally happy, flying small airplanes, short distances. I was a hundred dollar hamburger guy. You know, I would fly, you know, an hour ninety well, minutes would, in one would direction. That, would that still keep you happy? Well, I don't know, and and and. As I got started thinking about this buying thing, you know, I want to I want to travel now. All right, I mean, I also want to do hundred dollar hamburgers and go sightseeing around the area, but the idea of going some distances is definitely appealing to me now. Uh, um, the you know, I want to be able to go to, uh, you know, go to Lee Bottom. I want to be able to go maybe go visit Sporties. I want to go to Wichita and Sarasota. All right. Um, and, and I'd sort of gotten myself in the mindset that I could probably do that with a one say, I know, see, um, so now I'm thinking, well, I'm not, you know, and if I get this, if I were to get a small airplane like this, chances are I wouldn't trade up to a Skyhawk for a couple of years. So I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, do I really want to make that sacrifice? Do I, you Uh, know, you, 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 you say that about the Skyhawk as if there's a huge differential between those trips in a Skyhawk and those trips in a 150. Yeah, there, there probably isn't a huge there's difference not, in terms not of a huge in terms of travel except time. In fuel, yeah, right. The, except in fuel burn, the, there is a difference in terms of kind of creature comfort. Um, a 152 is a pretty pretty compact cabin. Um, this is true, and uh, and so you know. Anyways, so I I have to com- well, confess maybe this. Isn't, maybe this isn't a thing, but well, but. Like Jeb said, you'll be enlightened. You'll be educated. Go through yeah, the process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think about it. Yeah. Uh, Annie and I started out with an airplane that 
was, you know, two plus two sorta. We had four people in it twice. Uh, and even for long trips, it was a little tight baggage-wise and width-wise. Well, but we well, got dirt, it done dirty little secret, 120. Dirty little secret to share. Most four-place air, four airplanes are only flying around with one or two people in them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, which is makes a 150, 152 uh, a very inexpensive alternative to start and see whether you'd even do the interim trips that a Skyhawk would do. Because the only real difference is going to be you, you may carry one other person, but you're still going to carry almost as much gear in the back for a three- or four-day trip. And you're going to do it on about three gallons less gas an hour. That's going to be the big difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, then if you actually find that you really do use it that way, uh, particularly at this price, you keep it airworthy. You maybe swap it out, a radio here or something there. You turn around, you sell it, you get your money back out, plus maybe a little more. Well, uh, if you covered all, most of your flying costs is, for the time you bought it, gee, many Christmas, you're miles ahead. And then yeah. you're stepping into something more capable with all the background and knowledge and, and experience of, of owning and operating and, and, and using one that's not so painful to make a new decision on. Yeah, yeah, that's – go ahead, Jeb. I was just going to say, um, I, 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 if you in, indeed would, and I, you're more than welcome here, don't misunderstand. If you indeed would plan to spend uh, any appreciable time uh, traveling out to Wichita, traveling to Sarasota, traveling around uh, uh, for your work, um, that's one thing, and I would certainly support that. Um, I don't think you're going to be happy doing that in a 150. I'm pretty certain I wouldn't be. Yeah, and that's sort of what I got to thinking about. You know, it's kind of like, well, it's a different lifestyle for, you know. And I I have no doubt that there's a one, you know, there's some sort of, you know, 152, 182, bigger, you know, whatever in my future. But the, the, the big thing here was not that this is the airplane I want instead of that airplane. The big thing is that, I could conceivably have this airplane this month, you know, or next month. Now. Whereas, now. Right, now, as opposed to the Skyhawk, which I almost certainly won't be able to afford a decent one until, you know, six or nine months from now. And uh, well, another thought for you is um, it's getting to be winter up there. You had and, to remind me, uh, didn't you? Thank you. You know, I don't know how 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 much you like to fly in the winter time. Well, I, I'm just I'm just kind of pointing out that uh, you may or may not be flying it a lot this winter. Um, it would it, nothing would annoy me, frustrate me more than to sink you know a few thousand dollars into buying an airplane for the first time in my life, and the weather sucking for the next you know three, four, five, six months too much for me to really fly it with any great deal of confidence or or indeed you know take a trip like i would want to yeah. um clearly you know winter flying is a lot of fun and very rewarding the airplane performs better um uh skies can be crystal clear uh it can be some of the most fun you've had in an airplane with your pants on but um um there's going to be some nasty days too that you are going yeah. to kind of you know if this was summertime i'd be out flying Look at the calendar. You know that that's another part of this overall equation. It's it's admittedly a 
I would think a much smaller part, but look at the calendar too. Yeah, I, I know, and I know you're talking most about the flying aspect of that. Um, I actually did check, and and there are some interesting hangars available up there at Southern Maine too. So at Sanford, so well, um, and that's that's da, something da, else da. that you need to factor. Yeah, um, um, and if you start to get serious, whether it's this airplane or another airplane, uh, one of the first things you need to do is. Um, line up insurance and figure out how much it's going to cost you ballpark yeah. for um, specific airplanes like a 150, 152, or a 172, or a Cherokee 140 or a Cherokee Warrior or something like that. Yeah. Um, it, that way how, you know you say there's hangers available going in, what, yeah. what it's going to cost you. Uh, David, what would you say, David? There are hangers available at this airport now? I was surprised, too. Apparently more than one. Um, I, what do they go? Uh, he, he told me, um, and don't quote me on the to the exact dollar here, but he basically quoted me. He's got these unheated. Uh, they're basically tea hanger, big tea hangers. They seem to be, they're relatively new too. They, he built these these buildings about in the last couple of years, three four years. Uh, two hundred high two hundreds for the unheated and three fifty a month uh, plus fuel for the heated ones, which seems like a good price to Uh-oh. me. It almost, you know, depending on how serious you are about moving ahead, it almost sounds like something that would be worth locking down, even if you didn't have an airplane to put in it. Yeah, I was thinking that exact thing, kind of driving home. I'm going, <laughs> I wonder maybe I'll just go ahead and get the hangar because they're kind of hard to come by, harder, much harder than airplanes, it seems. Yeah, uh, yeah if they don't have some kind of, you know, codicil or constraint that says you can only rent it if you've got an airplane to put in it. Yeah. I'd rent a yeah. sucker and and, and and then farm it out to a friend until you need it. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, that's the beginning of my adventure here. I know, I, well, we'll see what happens. But uh, I, I consider it a learning experience, even if I, and, and, and odds are I won't go through with this. But, uh, but uh, it's an interesting idea. And uh, I really think I'd do a lot more flying if I had an airplane readily at my command. Oh, there's no question. There's no question you'd do more flying. It's known to work that um, Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly so exactly anyways we'll, we'll talk offline and, yeah and, uh, oh believe me i'm going to pick you guys brains big time don't worry about that part hey uh we're just we're having way too much fun here uh, i'm trying to pick and choose on the list here what do you want to talk about pick something um real quickly let me go did you see the picture of the 737 bird strike oh my that was, god that was where i was that was where I was going to go. Yeah, yeah. Oh my um, God! What a picture! Oh, huh? that was fun. <laughs> yeah. So this is a picture from. Uh, let's see now. Where are we here? Uh, I'm reading from a, an account of this from an Avweb story. Uh, plane spotter captures bird strikes, uh, and then I forget what there was. A this is in Europe, um, and uh, let me see if I can. Germania Airlines, which is that really an airline? That sounds like an airline from you know a comedy well, movie. The, the, you know, the from, suffix on their website is Deutschland. So yeah, yeah I would say that. Germania yeah. Airlines Boeing seven thirty seven. From the Daily Mail um, uh, UK website uh, says that two hundred starlings were ingested by the right engine of an aircraft as it took off from Dusseldorf, bound for Kosovo. 
uh, 80 people on board. But the, but the amazing part is that this person on the ground caught a really amazing still picture of this airplane uh, uh, climbing out. And just it's, it looks like it's swarmed by these birds. I mean, like, I don't know, thousands of them. It, it reminds me of CGI from a sci-fi movie. Yeah, um, and it's really cool. If you look at the full-blown big version of this picture, uh, you not only see this, all these birds, like, in a way, this is like, remember, I've told the story about the, uh, all the aircraft on final to Oshkosh, to 1-8 uh, at Oshkosh, when they suddenly announced that the, uh, that the Concorde was coming in on a long final to 1-8, and all the airplanes scattered in every which direction. And that's what these birds are like going, oh my God, what's this? And, but you actually see birds impacting um, the aircraft, particularly the, uh, the root of the the leading edge route um, on the wing, and and you actually almost can make out a bunch of birds about to be sucked into the engine. And I have this envision of them, like you know, flapping their wings frantically, going, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god!" And not work, you know. So, anyways, it's now uh, you know where chicken fingers come from. <laughs> yeah. So this is an amazing picture. Um, I, you know, I never got from the story what the resolution of this was, other than the fact that nobody was hurt, other than a bunch of birds. Um, did they? Oh, they they went around. They circled until they were bo- below uh, maximum landing weight. Uh huh. And, th- and then they got back on like the ground. The liners yeah. is a lower weight than maximum takeoff weight. Yeah. And they came back and landed uneventfully, and nobody was hurt, and uh, no harmful, no foul. But the crew did know that they had a situation because they didn't just continue on to their destination. Um, one of the things I got to, I, I had a really great time hanging out at uh, Sanford. Uh, airport today um i finally got a chance to see the new glass panel gobosh that uh, they had had on order and hadn't arrived until just recently um and it's pretty cool dave you posted a story about uh, how bendix king has what just recently announced or just recently got certification on uh, tell us about this uh, kfd 840 oh yeah uh, the uh the, is this their first entry into this sort of device Actually, yeah. Uh, at least in the you know in the light GA end of the market, it is, and this is part of Honeywell's uh, Bendix King Apex Edge series. I flew it back. Uh, I guess it was in June uh, to do a couple of magazine articles. It was installed in a in a Skyline, and it completely replaces the six pack uh, that we're used to. Uh, has all the air data. Uh, an attitude indication built into it only weighs eight pounds. Actually, weighs less than the uh, instruments it replaces. Uh huh. Cost about seventeen grand, and you can even get a backup battery that will keep the system running with uh, after a complete electrical system failure in the airplane. Yeah. Now so it can be a standalone. Uh, it can be a standalone solution. It'll work with all the. Uh, Almost all the autopilots, navs, comms, it's got dual pointer nav indicators, vertical speed, uh, altitude, and rate of climb stripes, full width attitude indicator. Uh, uh, it's got this cool split carrot on the, uh, on the uh, turn coordinator display. Instead of a skid ball or a depiction of a skid ball, the carrot splits, and the lower half goes to whatever side you need to step on the rudder. Really? Um, yeah, I, I confess yeah. that. So here's the deal. Actually, has the uh, the little indicators move uh, change distance apart as your standard rate turn angle has to change according to airspeed. Uh huh. 
is, is the that... faster you go, the faster you have to turn. The deeper angle you have to have to make a two-minute turn. Right. And little uh, indicators spread out to show how steep that bank angle is becoming. Okay. Is that is that depicted nice on this screenshot that's here on the on the page that you gave us? Yeah. Yes, it is. I don't quite see it, but uh... well, it's not active. Uh, that's part of the issue here. But if you look at the little uh, uh, triangle or pyramid that's right at the top of the oh, oh okay, spot, yeah, I see it. Got a horizontal line through it. That's the uh, the skid slip indication. Okay. The yeah. pointer shows your roll angle, and if you follow the pointer left and right to the first little carrots left and right, those show the bank angle that's required to do a two-minute turn at whatever airspeed you're flying. Right, right. As you go faster, that turn has to be steeper. The uh, carrots move apart to show the steeper bank angle. Right. And if you get into an attitude where you could be going haywire, uh, the indications, the little outside carrots will turn red and tell you that you're about to get into trouble. Uh-huh. Now, I, I haywire? Haywire, yeah. Hay, haywire? I, I defy haywire. you to find haywire. that that word in, in the FAA definitions. So I saw this picture, I saw this story for the first time this afternoon. I had spent the afternoon, you know, fantasizing about this 150. And and then I see this, this instrument and I'm going... Oh, that you know, I'm going. Oh, that's pretty cool. I could seventeen thousand dollars. Oh my god! <laughs> um, is uh, am I just being naive? Is that what these things cost? If you step back and think about what it would cost to put in off the shelf all the gyros and indicators, including the nav indicators that this thing represents, you're talking more money than that. Really? Yeah. What is things like what You're is going with new gyros, new HSI, new nav indicators, uh, new CDIs, new airspeed, and uh, uh, the uh, gyro compass, the uh, attitude indicator, uh, the turn coordinator. Uh, put it all together. You're yeah, talking. But... You're talking a lot of money if you bought all that stuff brand new. You're talking six, in, six, seven indicators. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm I'm not so sure you'd be talking that kind of money. Uh, f- for 10% of the retail price of this unit, uh, you could get new or yellow tagged instruments uh, maybe in all six spots. kind of depends on what you need. Um, you could probably spend twice that or up to around, you know, three, three or 3,500 or so and get everything replaced. But... Uh, Few airplanes need that. Um, this is this is you know, Bendix King's uh, answer to uh, um, some of the Garmin three-digit products. Um, answer to the um, 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 the Aspen uh, products, and it, it, for all you know, f- from here it certainly looks like a solid product. The, the price is the price. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, if, before the smoke well, clears, you got to remember you'd, beyond you'd, this, you put that kind of money time. from into any anything from Garmin. Um, to do all of this in this size of a of a screen, I'm not sure that Aspen even offers uh, this size of screen. Um, I'm sure the two probably are competitive on on uh, on features. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's what it costs. Now, you know, five years from now, will it cost this much? No, ten years, absolutely not. It'll, no, the the cost will come, come down. down. This 
when you think that 10 years ago you could only find something like this on a turbine class aircraft and right. it would have cost serious six figures uh to have this down under 20 uh you know you you what the machine will do is replace your six pack it'll also replace about three nav indicators one of them yeah. in HSI that's when i start to see putting new in of the old technology putting this in as a replacement starts to get pretty cost competitive. Yeah. yeah. One thing to keep in mind HSI here also though. Go ahead, Jeb. Well, one thing to keep in mind here also though is that um, while you can eliminate your primary six-pack instruments but and, and literally replace them with this, the prudent aircraft owner, the prudent pilot is going to have backup uh, uh, instruments, gyro, uh, physical gyros, vacuum or electric preferably vacuum, since this is an all-electric box, um, tucked away somewhere, you know, above or below the, or beside this unit for the, the day that, and it will come, the day that this unit soils the bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, absolutely. So there, there's, there's no real free lunch here as far as, hey, great, I can eliminate my vacuum system. Uh, yeah. Actually, um, but, I'd argue uh, with you about What's that, David? Uh, well, I'd take the vacuum pump off and put a standby alternator on in its place. Uh, well, that would certainly be a electric yeah. as, as standby in addition to this. Whatever I put in would be electrical. Well, you, you still need, you know, airspeed indicator. You still need an altimeter. You still need an attitude horizon. Uh, I'm sorry, a, 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 an artificial horizon. Um, install as a backup minimally. Um, to for the day when when the electrical when the electric fails, now you can get oh, I don't know twenty five hundred thirty five hundred. You can get independently powered um, electric um, horizons, and they're very good units. Uh, I'm not aware of you know any any um, problems with them. They work well. They have their own integral batteries, um, guaranteed thirty minutes or, or more, maybe maybe as much as an hour. Of battery power from them, and that's a that's a that's a good solution, but um, uh, that only buys you a finite amount of time. And uh, for me, I'd rather have you know a completely independent power source from spinning my gyros. So I'd I'd probably stick with a with a vacuum pump of some type, and and uh, um, um, it, it, to me it just makes sense. Plus, you still have to have the pedostatic system, uh, the original, and, and you still have to have the altimeter. So. Um, it's not. It's not. You know, rip out your panel, stick this in, and that's all you need. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you'll save all the weight of the of a vacuum system or alternator or backup alternator or um, uh, the static system and everything else. It doesn't work that way. Not, not at least if you want to get full advantage of this kind of a unit. Yeah. So interesting stuff. Like I said, uh, the uh, they just got the gobosh, the glass panel gobosh, which uses dynon equipment, which is, I guess, much less. I don't know, less sophisticated. Yeah. You know, well, it's, 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 it's not, not TSO. TSO. Yeah, yeah, right. It's it's for because it's for the LSA. Um, so I'm probably going to fly that sometime in the next week or so, just to kind of see what that's like. I'm kind of well, curious. Interestingly, about TSO is only required if the airplane's going to be used for higher. That's true. Uh, that's true. And uh, you could you could put uh, some of the uh, Dynon stuff in an aircraft and still get F- IFR approval on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now you're back working with a FISDO. But, it, you know, it's done because there wouldn't be an experimental aircraft out there flying with some of this stuff. 
with uh, IFR approval if uh, a TSO was mandatory with it. Uh, right. That changed the landscape considerably. Yeah. So, anyways, moving on. I'm going to take a drink. Moving on. So, um, I'm flying back from uh, Sarasota. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm and my flight, I changed airplanes at uh, Washington Nas- National. Um, A.K.A. Ronald Reagan, um, there in uh, at uh, the outskirts of the Washington D.C. area, um, across Wait, the. So we have to get a ruling. We have to get a ruling. Yeah. Okay. Can can the name of that former president be said on this podcast? <laughs> yes, it can. It's, it's, he's, he used to be the president okay. of the United States. Okay. A little respect. You know, this, uh, I always it's, it's of, national airport. That always kind of disturbed me because I always thought the airport was already named after a president. Yeah, that's oh, right. that's very right. good. I like plus, that. Okay. Plus, I don't think the president. I don't think the president after after whom it's named, uh, in this instance, actually ever set foot on the property, okay. much less well, uh, okay. use the it airport. It could still be named after. I mean, he never set foot in the Washington Monument either. It's yeah. still named after. <laughs> so listen, I'm. I. I He's uh, good. He's. He, you got to give him some credit. I intentionally. Uh, I wanted a seat on the left hand side of the airplane, just in the long shot, unlikely event that my aircraft arriving at Washington National uh, flew in on the uh, the infamous. Uh, and I don't know what its official name is, but I'll call it the Potomac Visual uh, Runway 19 approach. Yeah, that's- that's the colloquial name. For okay. Um, now, this is the we've talked about this on the podcast before. Um, the aircraft flies basically down the Potomac River, which involves a, a couple of turns totaling about ninety degrees, passes right by uh, a Washington D.C. proper uh, before touching down uh, at uh, at National, and uh, and so I, I wanted to be on the left hand side of the airplane just in case. Well, luck of luck. All right, we did in fact fly that approach. All right. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, once I kind of realized, I said, Oh, I think we really are flying it. I, I whipped out my, uh, my video camera and started, uh, running video out the window and, uh, watched sort of trying to not be staring at my little screen. Cause I wanted to see this with my eyes. And, uh, and we flew down the river. Uh, we flew past what I took to be Georgetown or George Washington university. Um, and then Georgetown so uh, so I'm shooting the video as we go along here, and I'm seeing these sites, and I'm kind of basically know where I am, and then we suddenly make the turn, all right? And not only do you get a view of Washington, D.C. proper, you get a spectacular view of, it's of, a great way to arrive. Uh, uh, of D.C. I mean, you're like right there with the Lincoln Memorial right in the foreground and the Washington Monument and the Capitol in the distance. And if you kind of look in the right place, you can see the White House, and then you see the... Uh, what is it? I think it's the Jefferson Memorial. It's off to the side there, and uh, it's just a spectacular view. I mean, I'm telling you, this is like take that's the sightseeing tour, man. I would pay money to get that little tour of Washington D.C. It was great, and so I got it all on video, and uh, um, I uploaded it to YouTube. It will eventually appear, but uh, it was just a cool view. I have to tell you, it was everything I ever thought it would be, and more. I was just astounded when when suddenly I realized that I was right there, looking straight down the mall at uh, at. Uh, at Washington D.C., it was very, very cool. It was very cool. You know, going breaking out of the clouds on the way into Washington National. Once I was able to renew my USA Today subscription out the right window. <laughs> okay, um, it's handy. They just have those little swipe machines right there. Yeah, uh, apparently, on right? Window sill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, we're going to have to start thinking about wrapping this thing up here. Uh, David, why don't you pick? I up? think so. 
Why don't you pick one more story from up up until the shout-outs? We'll definitely do the shout-outs, but uh, is there one in there that you don't want to let go by? Yeah, uh, I'm going to do this uh, for Governor Sonny Perdue of Georgia, who this very day signed a proclamation declaring the importance of general aviation to the state of Georgia. Uh, he's not the only one to recognize it lately, but he seems to be a standout at a time when we're getting, you know, whacked over the spinner by an ever-widening circle of uh, druids who just seem to get sucked into every, oh, do you know they actually spent money on these little airports? And they don't get airline service kind of garbage. So uh, hats off to the governor. Uh, There's much we would disagree on politically, but we definitely agree on this. So my hat's off to him. Yeah. I think um, Governor Purdue is a pilot also. I believe you're right. Well, I wasn't going to out him I'm, like that. I wouldn't want to screw up the credibility no, of this I, whole thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I just, you know, just the backstory. I think he is a, a licensed pilot. I don't know how current he is. Um, he might have had even had a, a military uh, piloting background. I don't know offhand. But, um, you know, it's, it's good to have friends in high places. Well, you know, it. it and to be fair, Gulfstream is based in Savannah, which last I checked was well, still in Gulf, Georgia. Gulf, Gulfstream is in Savannah. Mall uh, Aircraft is based in Moultrie, Georgia. Um, Moultrie, that's right. Albany, Georgia, long long has had a uh, uh, aircraft manufacturing facility. They built uh, some of the um, single-engine commanders there in the 70s, the 112 and the 114, I believe. Built a lot of um, oh, agricultural aircraft in that, in, in that same, uh, that's right, um, um, in that same factory in Albany, Georgia, as well as a lot, of, as I say, a lot of agricultural aircraft. Ayers Corporation used to be there. I don't know if they're still there or not. Um, elsewhere in, in Eastman, Georgia, um, the Alaris uh, uh, company, I believe is the name of it was building the, the CH-601, which is a certified version of a uh, kit plane. Uh, there's a lot of aviation in Georgia. Um, there's, you know, obviously Hartsfield, and, and as Dave correctly points out, up at um, uh, Marietta, the Lockheed facility. Um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, Georgia. And, and, and if, just, you if, know, if I remember right, I'm, a particular fondness to you, there's an airport in Chifton. Yeah. Uh, not that uh, you know. Not trying to, to pimp uh, Georgia here or anything like that. But Georgia is the uh, the largest state in land area east of the Mississippi. Really, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, that is, that is true. It, it might not be my much in some cases, but uh, so you know, aviation is important for a lot of reasons. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, congratulations. Thank you to that that governor for stepping up and uh, appreciate that. Should be an example to more governors around the country. Shoutouts. Uh, I'm going to steal one of Dave's. I was going to use it anyway. Okay, go ahead, Jeb. Go. Okay, Uh, I'm going to steal one of Dave's, and that's uh, um, to the NASA callback folks. Uh, As Dave correctly points out on our list here uh, uh, earlier today, they sent out their their monthly uh, uh, callback newsletter or a link to it. I should say it's. uh, uh, it's now being distributed electronically. It used to be on the on the blue uh, legal paper. Um, just uh, if if you're not familiar with the NASA ASRS system and, and the callback reporting uh, publication and, and all of the other supporting documentation available through the NASA uh, Aviation Safety Reporting System or ASRS, 
uh, you, you should be familiar with it. It's a, it's a uh, very good uh, uh, anonymous system. Pilots, controllers, and other aviation professionals like, like uh, uh, maintenance technicians can use to highlight uh, uh, dumb things that they've done, uh, problems with the system, um, and um, um, bring it to everyone else's attention. The idea, of course, being to promote, promote safety. Not coincidentally, uh, if you uh, uh, kind of screw the pooch one day uh, or you, know, you bust an altitude or, or um, um, find yourself inadvertently you know, violating a FAR for you, need, you didn't intend to violate, sending in an ASRS report uh, anonymously, uh, well, not, not entirely anonymously, but the FAA will never get their hands on the data, um, and uh, uh, you might uh, get out of uh, any enforcement actions by making a report. It's a good system. Uh, it's something that we should support, and it's certainly something we should refer to. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. And you can use that get-out-of-jail-free card only once every two years. But, hey, it uh, could be a good I think it's longer than that. I think it's five years. Right. And, and to be clear here, you can Is submit as many as you you can submit as many as you'd like to, but in the event that you right, need right. The, the get out of jail free aspect of it, you can only take that up on taking them up on that that many times, right? Okay. Um, and my shout out, real quick and yep. dirty, I want to roll back to last week to Friday night to Tony, Steve, Joy, yeah. Valiant Airman, and particularly to Nick who snuck in on us and uh, treated us better than we expected and certainly better than we deserved. Uh, yeah. And to the Saturday morning crowd, Merle, the head of the uh, Airport uh, Boosters uh, Foundation, to Doc, who gave us an extensive tour and talked to us about the educational programs they run for 70, 75 uh, grade to junior high to high school age children yeah. every summer uh, with professional education, sim training, all sorts of good stuff. Air, young Eagles rides, the whole works, rocket firings, and finally to... All, all of which uh, is, is, is hugely, all of which is hugely important. But dude, you, you're leaving out the most important part. They've What's, got a link trainer they're restoring. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's very cool. They, yep. they, yeah, they have a link, uh, a link trainer, link uh, simulator, uh, old, uh, old. Uh, I don't know how to characterize it in a positive way, 19, but early nineteen World, World War II era. era. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. an amazing, and it's in beautiful condition. I mean, it's just, just wonderful. Um, they, they are still restoring it. It's over in one of the hangars there at uh, Ponca City, and uh, we got a, got a chance to take a peek at it. And, but they're going to bring it out and make it part of their program uh, as a, as a regular. Uh, uh, element of the whole thing. It's a very, very cool program. Those uh, Ponca City Booster folks are really got the right idea. They're doing some great things over there. So, yeah. David, finish up your thought. Is that it? And last, to Pilot pilot Bill from, flew up from uh, 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 south of Dallas. And, uh, uh, of course, to Kelly and the lovely Donna, who drove all the way from Rolla, uh, to the folks that cooked the breakfast and all the folks that flew in. Made for a great cap to an excellent week. So, Thanks. I couldn't agree more. Last thing, to our buddy Terry down in Florida, uh, we hear how things are moving along. We're keeping our fingers crossed, our toes crossed, we're keeping you in our thoughts. That's right. Hang in there and get well. I agree. I agree. Uh, One last one I want to drop in here, uh, and that is that uh, a few episodes ago, we talked about uh, listener... um, I should know his first name, and I apologize. Um, uh, I think it was Rob uh, Sigliano. 
who we told the story of when he got his private pilot license, the first passenger he took up was his son. And uh, uh, what a great bonding uh, experience that was and what a great educational experience that was for the boy. Um, and it's just a wonderful story. Uh, uh, we got another uh, posting from... from uh, I'm going to call him Rob. I hope that's right. Uh, who tells us that he is now uh, using his experience as a student and his experience as a new private pilot uh, to do a, a podcast of his own. And he's got the first episode up, as I understand it. Uh, in uh, in his uh, posting announcing it, he says, uh, I will be talking about my transition from a student to a private pilot. Uh, f- uh, you can follow me along as I use my new certificate. I hope to give ideas to new uh, or old pilots on ways that they can use their license. Maybe it will inspire students to finish or pilots that have stopped flying to start up. Right now, it will be just me talking about my goals for the first hundred hours, my flights, adventures, thoughts, mistakes, and successes. It will be a sort of audio blog. He calls it the New Pilot Pod Blog, uh, and you can uh, find it uh, at uh, thenewpilotpodblog.blogspot.com. Go to the show notes. You'll get, just click on the link. Um, or I'm sure you can search for it in uh, iTunes when it comes up in there. So, uh, so uh, good luck to... Uh, to uh, Rob and uh, and uh, check out his podcast. All right, stick of work on this one for sure. Uh, Dave Higdon is a uh, is, is an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, uh, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Hey, I should say by the way that I picked up the latest episode of World Aircraft Sales uh, at the airport today, and I'm thumbing through it, and I've come to the conclusion they really need to rename it the the Dave Higdon Magazine. All right. Because I swear there were four or five bylined articles by you in the uh, October issue. So uh, there's a lot of good stuff in there. And uh, Dave's got a big, big presence in, uh, in aircraft sales. Um, David, where can people find you on the Internet? Well, uh, World Aircraft Sales, for a start, would be avbuyer.com and click on the electronic editions. Uh, aviationsafety.com, aea.net, Google me. Uh, or send a note via the uncontrolled airspace uh, uh, email function. Uh, or turn over a rock. I may be there, too. That's right. And Jeb Burnside is an aviation journalist, currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the Internet? AviationSafetyMagazine.com. Uh, be the day job. Every now and then I'll have something on uh, AviationConsumer.com. Uh, personal website, JEBurnside.com. And, of course, I also pop up occasionally on, on AvWeb. I actually have a blog post to do um, uh, for them, uh, hopefully over the weekend here. Um, and that's pretty much where you can find me if, you're, if you have to look for me. Mm-hmm. Smoke signals work occasionally also. There you go. There you go. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our excellent show notes. Also, thanks to uh, Mike Morgan and Roy Searle and to the many other listeners who have created the show opening disclaimer clips that we use. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just $10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget that you can visit with us all at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say? Live longer, go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. That's right. That's enough talking. Let's go flying. 
TTFN.